Hey, everybody. Welcome to This Board Game Life, episode number two, titled An Iron Sky. My name is Rob, and with me I have my fantastic co-host, Jeff. Hey, everyone. I, I called you fantastic. Well, That's did, fantastic. I'm not debating that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, send me the 20 bucks that you owe me for that. But, uh, yeah, we're uh, on to episode number two. After number episode number one was a raving success. Right? Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Exactly. So, hey, let's, uh, let's get on with the show here. So, uh, Jeff, you want to take the first thing here? Sure. So, of course, as we've titled the show, An Iron Sky, well, many of you may not have heard, uh, there's this little board game out of Germany uh, called Iron Sky, and today they actually announced the uh, the full theatrical trailer for the movie, uh, which which happens to also be called Iron Sky, of course. Uh, the movie's, uh, you know, technically speaking, it's a dark science fiction comedy. Um, just sort of a way of saying it's half serious, half meant to be taken light. Like campy, kind of? Or... Well, I, I, I kind of want to say, you know, like a Starship Troopers movie sort of way yeah. um, is kind of the vibe I get from it, but but maybe with a, just a little bit darker of a setting. Um, but this, was a, this is a film produced by Finnish, German, and Australian film companies all working together. And uh, the thing that sets it apart more than even that is one million euros were donated by fans. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yep. Yeah, so it's sort of like their Kickstarter version over there, but, you know, they didn't really use Kickstarter for it. It was just um, this word-of-mouth thing that got out. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I think they ended up spending 15 million euros. I mean, it started as a small thing back in 2006. And... uh, they got all this great buzz and a lot of fans behind it. And then some other independent companies uh, spent money and such, but fans themselves donated uh, 1 million euros. So did they uh, get anything for that or just, yeah, you know, I, I don't know all the details, but I think you can get, you get a copy of the movie when it comes out on DVD. Um, You know, you can pre-order the board game. There's, other accessories there's collector edition boxes there there's basically a whole store full of stuff you can get you know t-shirts you name it lunch boxes is that true yeah probably i don't know probably <laughs> i there there's some crazy stuff on there I, I i i looked at it at one point but yeah so so 2006 it's what 2012 now so maybe 6 years total um it's actually going to be in theaters so it's finished um april 4th april 5th in Finland and Germany, and it's supposed to be out worldwide after that. Um, the movie itself premieres at the Berlin International Film Festival this month, uh, so I don't know exactly when that is, but that's you know a couple weeks away. And you know the neat thing is, you know you would think maybe Finland, Germany, it wouldn't be an English movie, but the primary language in the film is English. So, um, and you can see that by the trailer. Uh, yeah. If if you've seen now, did you watch the trailer rob the, yeah, the theatrical one yeah so what did yeah, you think i saw that and and i did watch the trailer that came out the teasers couple, yeah, yeah there like were like three of them back. yeah i thought i thought that the full theatrical trailer was 
even better than those teasers by and, I mean it was fantastic I mean it I mean the special effects were amazing and I, I really like the you know the, the the look of the movie yeah it's 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 that it has a little bit of that sky captain and the world of tomorrow type that, of look but it almost that's looks exactly better. what I was yeah thinking. but it but it actually looks like better like better quality than even that I mean of course that was a, a few years back so yeah because uh, Sky Captain had too much, I don't know what the name of the effect is, but like it's like overexposed like, or something. It's like a glow that yeah, you can yeah. do in, so, in Photoshop. Yeah, this is this is a little bit more realistic looking, but right. um, yeah, I, I I just I, I really I've always liked the um, the idea of the movie. I've followed the board game. Uh, you know, there's not a lot of buzz on on BGG about it, but you know, really even the teasers were enough for me, but then this just fantastic trailer comes out and it's like, wow, it's, uh, uh, you know, that's why I'm mentioning it here. So go to, go to the website. It's, uh, ironsky.net. Uh, the video is right on there. All we've also linked it from our blog. Of course, I probably should say a little bit about what the movie and the board game are about. So, uh, uh, since you've seen the trailer, Rob, then you already know, I don't know if you're a World War II historian, but uh, apparently I was wrong, right? <laughs> so I, what? I, th- I thought the Nazis were defeated at the end of World War II, but that's that's not the case, right? Oh, yeah, so, yeah. So yeah. what actually happened was, in the last moments of World War II, a, a secret Nazi space program uh, evaded destruction, and uh, a group of Nazis were able to flee to the dark side of the moon. And that was, you know, 70 years of utter secrecy, and they constructed this giant space fortress, massive amounts of flying saucers, um, and, you know, and, and as the movie says, even though the movie's airing this year, I think it's like two, supposed to take place in 2018 or something like that, when, uh, um, so this could still happen, folks. <laughs> when the Nazis really come back and uh, it's it's a look into the future. <laughs> so, now did you did you uh, recognize somebody from the trailer? Probably only um, watched the one time, so I don't know. There there's yeah. somebody neat in it for uh for video game enthusiasts. Really neat. I got to look at this again now. <laughs> keep keep talking while I watch it. Okay. We'll see if you can pick them out. So, okay. the game itself uh, it's they described it as a cooperative but still competitive game to save the planet. What uh, what's interesting about that is the movie itself is mostly about the space battles. the The board game is really about the invasion of planet Earth, so it's more about the land based stuff. And so, really, what they've done is expanded the universe, and they're starting to build the story even more um, between that and the board game. And now they've also gone and done a free comic book. So the comic books start to tell even more of the story. It's a free download at ironsky.net, and then if you if you like it, of course, it, they they ask that you donate something, um, but you don't have to, right? It's free, and then you know, I guess if nothing else, then maybe it'll interest you in the movie or the board game. It's two to six players. What they basically do is there's three boards in the game, and for every two players, you add a board. So if you're playing just two player, then it's one board, and you know, they sort of indicated a couple places that it doesn't play well with odd number of people, so that's a little different. But I think points towards maybe some unique mechanics in the game, because uh, I don't know a whole lot of other games where that's true, where you kind of have to have this even number of players. But I guess there's a few out there. Their other sort of uh, main focus was no downtime in the game. Uh, and so they say because of that, 
they, they believe they've achieved this no downtime goal and that really even with six players you have this strategy game that only takes 90 minutes you know that's that's the claim anyway you know i thought the components actually looked pretty good in the in the photos i've seen and uh, there's actually i think a video up on bgg i think it is uh, also from essen or some something like that where they yeah it was essen where they yeah, showed the game this year so just it was any... from the booth. It was from the yeah yeah uh, like Beth board game uh, or one of yeah one of the uh, the, the booth babes. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't uh, Ollie or one of the. So did you notice recognize anyone in the trailer? Probably not. It's re- uh, it's a really tough tough. There's two actors in there that I recognized, but okay. I don't I don't know what the video it's, game connection it's is. Yuri from Red Alert, the classic sort of bad guy. Yuri? If you ever, ever played like oh, yeah, yeah. Command and Conquer? Or... Oh, absolutely! I was I was a huge fan of CNC. Yeah, so he's in there. So yeah, if you know, you know, YouTube uh, a clip from uh, Red Alert, uh, you know, and then take a look at him, and then compare it to the trailer, and yeah, that was uh, a a fan nod or, or you know something like that. But yeah, there's a couple other faces that are familiar. I, I at one point I had actually looked up the filmography. I guess yeah. That's what... I'd... I didn't. I didn't see him anywhere. I'm watching it again to see if I can find Yuri. He's I'm amazed that you caught it. He's in there. I double checked. Yeah. I, I noticed him even from one of the uh, early uh, teaser trailers. He was in it, and uh, and I checked on it, and it, and sure enough, they uh, they confirmed it. So, hmm. uh, you know, I'll, I'll I'll edit our blog post. I'll put some links up just to to prove that out. You know, watch me watch <laughs> me be wrong now. Now you've got me worried. I've, I've here gone and said something that's not true, but I'll uh, I'll do a little proof side by side pictures or something. Uh, yeah, post with like at two minutes forty five seconds. Yeah, look at this guy, and then look at look at yeah. this other video, and it's totally the same guy. I know it. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, yeah, Iron Sky. It's you know I think it's a serious sci fi movie contender. Um, you know, basically unheard of. The board game itself I think looks promising. You know, there's not a lot of space Nazi board games these days, and and you know, just even the whole cooperative but competitive, no downtime, you know, invasion of the Earth sort of sort of uh, uh, thing is is kind of a neat neat idea. I think it's like 74 euros, so it's not exactly the cheapest game to to grab if you're in the states, but that's like what a hundred bucks. Yeah, at least, right? I, I, I I'm tempted. I, you know, <laughs> as much as I'm advocating the movie and the board game, you would think so, but uh, I haven't pulled the trigger exactly on this one yet, uh, just because of that price. But uh, I probably will. Uh, now that I've seen that trailer, I, I'm sold. Oh yeah, because yeah, I remember watching the trailer for the movie quite a while ago, and you know, it looked good even back then. And then I saw the board game geek footage from SM. We're back in October, November, and I was really interested in the Iron Sky one. And I don't know, I don't, you know, the guys that were demoing it because there was two guys, if I remember right, in in the video. Well, what there's, uh, if I remember it right, I think one guy was actually the movie producer, and the other guy was the board game guy. Yeah, but yeah they had you know like thick accents, and it was it was hard to understand yeah. some of it. Um, and they haven't done a whole lot of posting on Board Game Geek about the game since um, there's just been some stuff in the uh, it must have been their blogs where I read some of it and uh, there's a little bit of information on the website 
which uh, I liked that. You know, if you so if you go there and you just heard about the movie, you actually stumble across this board game, and uh, they had a link to BGG and everything. So it's kind of neat. A couple people might might find their way there through there. You know, the the trailer when I checked it today, it already had it was in the several million hits. So uh, it's clearly got some buzz, at least internationally. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Actually, yeah, it was uploaded uh, today. Yep. So 1.3 million hits. Crazy. Outside of that, uh, there's a couple other. Uh, since we're on the topic of sci-fi movies, you know, unfortunately, most of these don't have board game tie-ins. But I'll quickly run through a list. I'd I'd actually started a list on BGG a while back, uh, just about all the cool sci-fi movies for 2012. Second on my list to Iron Sky is is Ender's Game. So I don't know if have you ever heard of that book, Rob? Oh, absolutely. Or Orson Scott Card. Okay. I didn't know if you, you know, I've I've actually met people who had never heard of it. So, uh, well, it's not this guy. <laughs> well, that's good. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was in a library in a oh, where was it? Uh, yeah, Bloomington or something. And yeah, it was just. Uh, I had to kill some time before I came back from lunch to a, to a customer site and uh, the library was across the street. So I, I walked in the library and I noticed they had it in their classics section, which was neat. Cause when I was a kid, you, you didn't have science fiction next to, you know, Robinson Crusoe and <laughs> you know, all those old books like that. Oh yeah. Uh, but this was like, this was the, the pick, the designated sort of, this is the classic science fiction book you know it's probably on school kids readings list now and stuff or mm-hmm. I, I, th- I thought that was kind of neat oh yeah uh, but yeah so they're 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 casting uh i think his name's is it uh, asa or asha it's it's the the kid that's in hugo which i actually haven't seen it's the martin scorsese film yeah i haven't seen that either yeah well he's got the british accent so usually when they're younger kids it's they're more believable if they're British, I guess. Okay. Something like, you know, the acting doesn't come off as poor. Uh, I don't know. That's, that's what I've heard. Uh, that, or if you're making a star Wars film, right. Then, then all the bad guys have to be British. You know, it's one of the two. Okay. So second to, or I guess third to that then. Well, well, um, Ender's game doesn't count for 2012 cause it's pushed. I think it's 2013 officially as of, um, when I did the list for uh, back in December, I think it was when I posted it to BGG. So it's um, so for 2012 anyway. It's Iron Sky and then Old Man's War. So this is probably a book you haven't heard of. Yeah, no, I haven't. All right, this is by John. I'll probably butcher his last name, but I want to say it's Scalzi, S-C-A-L-Z-I, and he's now he's president of the Fantasy Scythe science fiction association, something like that. This is basically his take. He kind of admits that it's his take on starship troopers and that he borrows a lot from Heinlein. And I sort of see that, but the whole book reads like a great movies. And I mean, in fact, when I finished it, I was like, wow, they should make this into a movie or better yet a board game. Yeah. A board game based (laughs) on the movie, based on the book. Uh, and so I don't actually read a whole lot of sci-fi books, but this is one of the ones I had read. Now that I have the the iPad, I frequently just get sample books, and I'll I'll read a little bit into the chapter. And most of the time, you know, it's I'm bored. And but this was one of the books that caught me right away. I actually read all four books in the series, and there's even some other little books. 
But what's what stands what sets this one apart is three of those four books were nominated for the Hugo Award for best you know science fiction uh, fantasy novel. And that's really I don't know of too many other series, if any. I don't think there's any other series that's actually been nominated three out of four books. And even the book that wasn't nominated was amongst you know maybe even my second most favorite one. So. But yeah, then to, to round out the list, uh, just a big year for sci-fi movies. So Prometheus is also coming out if you're an Aliens fan. or uh, oh, yeah. And specifically Aliens, I think. Well, you know, actually, this one might appeal to both because it's it's sort of a prequel to Alien, uh, okay. you know, about the that original ship and that big space jockey, you know, seat and, and creature that they find where they first find the alien pods. Okay. Um, it's sort of the story of the creation of mankind, I guess. Um, so aliens really aren't in it. It's this other species. That's why it has a totally different name. Um, they kind of started it as an alien prequel, and it really just morphed into this whole bigger thing. But it has more of the aliens vibe in terms of the the marines and the action. And, you know, it's not things running around in the dark as much or that's what um, – what's been said about it anyway the right now there's just a teaser trailer out which looks all right but I, I put it high on my list just because it's also ridley scott's first return to science fiction in 20 some years he did the original alien he did um blade runner and fairly sure that's it he hasn't done any sci-fi since so that either means it's going to be very disappointing or it's going to be really really good hopefully the latter I hope so. But, you know, now with Iron Sky and, and Old Man's War, I, don't, I won't be as disappointed if it's not. Star Trek II is another one. That's next up. Nobody knows a whole lot about it. I really like the, the relaunch of Star Trek. I think It's day, pretty good. Yeah, I think day one, like, nobody wanted to admit to it. And, you know, and I, would, I would tell people I liked it and be made fun of. But, but yeah, you know, it's really rewatchable. That's the thing. I, not that the original ones aren't, but it's just got this whole you know, adrenaline rush pace to it that other than I don't like the new Spock, I really don't. And I, I think a lot of people agree with that, but he's, he's just a little strange for me, but he's Siler. He's not Spock. <laughs> uh, it's forever typecast. Yeah. I, so there's another next movie on the list is a movie called Chronicle. I don't even know why I put this up this high. It's just, it's kind of a comedy sci-fi, but I've there haven't been one of those that have worked in so long. There was like Paul a year or two ago, and oh, it was yeah. yeah, it was all right, but yeah, yeah. But it, so that's why I'm kind of digging this one. I just yeah, again, I know I'll be let down. It's it's you know it's probably everything good about it's in the trailer. Uh, Isn't that already in the theaters, or it, it's coming out soon? Yeah, it, it probably is coming out soon. Okay. Uh, John Carter. It sort of looks like a cross between Avatar and Star Wars Episode One, let's say, um, but it's sort of this classic setting again that Disney picked up, and I'm hoping the storyline is better than both of those movies, and that's, you know, that it's not just uh, what was that like that Prince of Persia one, <laughs> based on the video game. Yeah. Pretty to look at, but it was kind of a dumb story. Then we have mm-hmm. Hunger Games. That's a book I haven't read. But everybody that has says that's really good. So yeah, I thought on this one I'll just see the movie first, and then if I'm inspired to go read it, so be it. Chronicles of Riddick three. I I'm actually I actually didn't mind the second one as much as other people did. 
I agree the first one kind of had a charm all of its own, but the third one's supposed to be a little bit more like the first one and ignore a couple things in the second one. So, uh, you know, again, higher hopes. But one I think really think is kind of cool is, is what I've gotten is number nine on my list, the Total Recall remake. Oh, yeah. Now, do you know much about this one? Who's in it and everything? Uh, I know that it was coming out. I haven't heard anything beyond yeah, that. Yeah, so, so originally, and I like the original one, right? Uh, oh, almost, yeah. I almost said Sylvester Stallone. I don't know where that was coming from. Arnold. <laughs> yeah, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sharon Stone, before anyone knew who she was. Yes. Right? I, I remember that. I yes. used to tell people that, but now it's pretty commonly known, but there was a while where like nobody knew. They are like, oh, yeah. But, okay, so Kate Beckinsale is oh, in yeah. her role. That's kind of neat. That's that's a good choice. Yeah, I like I like the underworld movies. Yeah, you know. Oh yeah, me too. Yeah, big fan. So yeah, she's uh, Laurie. Uh, Colin Farrell is Arnold. Okay. I'm a little less sure of that one, but you know, it, it it's supposed to it's supposed to be first of all, it's not a remake of the last movie. It's a more true uh, adaptation of the novel or the short story it was based on. I forget it, which if which one it was. I haven't read it. But in that way, it's supposed to be similar, but not quite the same. Right. Jessica Biel is Milena. Bill Nye is Quato. Ethan Hawke's in it, but they didn't list who what who he's playing. So, um, but that was interesting. Okay. But really, that's a pretty good all you know all star cast for uh, for just a remake. So I'm kind of encouraged by that. And then uh, rounding out the top ten, as I had originally sort of wrote it, is uh, World War Z, which is Brad Pitt and uh, and zombies, but uh, like now, I might even drop that off the list because it's it supposedly isn't. Uh, you know, they've diverged from the original World War Z content and made it something else together. And I don't really know much about it in the first place, but I'm not a huge Brad Pitt guy. So replacing that, uh, well, and, and actually, there's a couple other movies. I'll, you know, there's like one called Lockout, which is about Breaking out of space prison, Men in Black three, in the fantasy side we got Hobbit Part one. There's a bunch of weird ones out there like Abraham Lincoln Zombie Slayer or something like that. Mm, yeah. <laughs> uh, but the the last movie that that I actually didn't know of when I had originally put this list together that is really 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 exciting to me is a movie called Gravity. Uh, do you, have you heard of this one? No. So what's that about? Uh, the reason I'm really excited about it is uh, some critics or some sort of reputable sources, they were comparing this to Moon. And is that, did you see Moon? Oh, yeah, I did. That was pretty good. Yeah, Moon was with Sam Rockwell, and, yep. and actually Kevin Spacey was the voice of, uh, what was the computer? Gertie, the computer. But basically, the movie was just the, those two people, well, really one person in the computer. And, that, and yet, it was still this kind of neat story. And you know, and, and and by it's it compared to something with more action or whatever, yeah. It's but I liked it. There was a, a movie called Apollo 18, which was kind of like this low budget film. I thought was maybe going to be like a moon, but I was let down by that one. Uh, but what's interesting anyway to get back to Gravity is Moon and IMDb credits ten people. You know, despite the fact that it's mostly Sam Rockwell, it only credits two people for Gravity. There are only two people in the entire movie. Uh, the movie is about a lone survivor of a space mission to repair the Hubble telescope, uh, and they desperately are trying to return to Earth to reunite with with uh, her daughter. 
But the two actors are George Clooney, who I've grown to like quite a bit, and, and someone who I don't really care for, but is intriguing because of the description of this movie and, and all the early praise, Sandra Bullock. Okay. <laughs> Not a big fan, but I think that's an interesting combination for a science fiction movie, you know, two people, and that's it. So I can see the George Clooney, you know, if I have to watch one person for, you know, he's definitely a good enough actor. Sandra Bullock, I haven't been as sold on, but maybe this <laughs> well, is... Well, you should, you should see her in uh, Judge Dredd, I think, no. Well, yeah, no, Demolition not, Man, not Judge... Demolition Man, right? Was it? Yeah, the with, one uh, with Sylvester Stallone and uh, yeah, yeah, okay, Demolition Man, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, okay. Well, they're doing a new. That's I, I you know I didn't even mention that one, but there's a new Dread movie coming out, 2012 yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's lower budget, probably won't be that good. But yeah. so that's yeah, wow, big year for sci-fi, and that's movies. Oh, yeah. But you know, the other thing I was noticing, getting back to board games now, we'll kind of stick to board games for the rest of the episode. Uh, <laughs> I've also noticed this new trend with Kickstarter games, just science okay. fiction game after science fiction game after science fiction game. Really? Uh, yeah, just when there was a whole bunch of them, you know, Empires in the Void and, and some of these other ones, now there's like this whole new set of, there's like two to three new science fiction ones. I just started thinking about, you know, originally there weren't enough, you know, sci-fi Euros and then we got a whole bunch at one time uh, and then we got our sci-fi deck builders and then, you know, WizKids goes and does Star Trek, and we get Eclipse, right? And there's just been all these different sci-fi games in about the last year or two from bigger publishers. I just started to wonder, is is a science fiction theme like just just simple kind of go-to theme because you can make up anything and kind of just say, oh, that's how it works in this universe, and you don't really have to research a topic, you know, like maybe was done in the past to try to simulate something and and you don't really have to maybe start with mechanics and, and then work from there either. It's just kind of this, I don't know. It was just a thought I had. At, as big of a sci-fi fan as I am, I, I think I'm almost disappointed to see so many sci-fi games now. It just really? they can't all be that good. It, it just seems too easy. Yeah. You know, like, but we'll see. Maybe, yeah. maybe I'll own 20 sci-fi games by next year. Time will tell. All right, so I mean, moving on to our next topic then, uh, and, I, and I'll post, or I, yeah, I'll post a, a link to this too. But I mentioned that I joined Board Game Geek with my current ID anyway in uh, in 2008. But I actually remembered I was, uh, you know, lying awake one night, and I actually remembered the first thing I saw that made me go to Board Game Geek, and I even remember where I saw it. Uh, and I thought, for some reason, I thought it was like back in 2001 or 2002 when I was active in board gaming uh, again for, you know, whatever the second time around. But I looked it up, and it was actually October 26, 2005. So, and I, and I think it's a really cool geek list that everybody should check out. So it's one made by Alan R. Moon. Do you know who Alan R. Moon is? Yes, I do. Good. I knew you would. <laughs> it's a rhetorical question. He- Everybody he made the best game ever. No. no, he uh, what did Union Pacific and Airlines Europe and uh, this little game called Ticket to Ride. Yeah, that one that nobody knows about. Yeah. Uh, but see, to me, if somebody asked me who Alan R. Moon was, I always remember him as the guy who wrote this little column, uh, you know, 
the asylum at the usually it was the back page of Avalon Hills General Magazine. And as a kid, that you know there was always these lengthy war game articles and stuff. And you know I, I would read them if it was a game that I played a lot. You know I had a lot of games that I didn't get played a lot, just like now, right? I'd, I'd play right. it once and they'd just sit on the shelf. So did I really want to read the strategy article? Eh, you know. I'd get to it, and then I never did. But I would always flip to the back, and, and his was usually a humorous column, you know, with a play on this or that. And I, I just always had fun with it. So I always sort of think of him as that magazine journalist or whatever, the columnist. But in any case, the the, the geek list itself just kind of goes through his. It's it's called uh, My Four Years at Avalon Hill, which again I, I think a lot of people don't realize that the guy who made Ticket to Ride worked at Avalon Hill. You know, he, he talks about a couple things like, you know, it's he was 27 and he made 350 an hour. He, he made so little when he started there. $350 yeah. an hour? No, $3.50. And even then, that wasn't enough to afford anywhere to live. So he actually slept on a cot in the basement, right? So this was like the heyday, we'll call it, of, of board gaming. So for anybody that thinks they're going to make money today, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he had to sleep in a cot, on a cot in a basement. Uh, of their offices uh, for several months until he finally got uh, two pay raises to bring him up to $5 an hour. So he, he does this sort of little tell-all about some of that stuff in this geek list back, I guess, when he contributed a little bit more when, when there were you know maybe less people on, on Board Game Geek. And then he also goes on to say, which I thought this was interesting, that when he, you know, whatever he was brought on to do, which I think was just help with the magazine... He he had discovered like this huge pile of unopened boxes in Don Greenwood's office, who was you know kind of like maybe I don't know if he was CEO or what ex- exactly title he had, president, but he was kind of just otherwise always known as the guy in charge of of anything anyone any gamer cared about. But what was of course in all those unopened boxes were unsolicited you know game submissions, and Don Greenwood basically said, yeah, take take them. Tell me which ones are good. Send back the ones that aren't. You know, it's it's your decision. <laughs> so you know, how cool is that? So it's like, okay, you're you're getting paid three fifty five bucks an hour, and you're basically, in a way, almost put in charge of outside development, right? I mean, we've got these. Of course, they had these in house developers and and projects they were already working on. But as far as submissions goes, you know, it's really up to you. And and so then he found a couple games and. You know, there's some notable ones I think he puts on the list that probably wouldn't have existed otherwise. And, uh, you know, you wonder how much of inspiration came from playing 50, 100, you know, who knows how many prototypes back then. You know, I'm sure the motivation was was great to just learn and try all these games. And, you know, so the rest is history, right? He goes on to develop yeah. quite, a, quite a few successful things on his own. Now, there was one other thing. I'm spoiling the whole geek list now for everyone, but... Uh, for those that don't go and read it, there was also uh, a comment about Magic Realm that I, that I just always kind of remember. I just always forget to tell people. But like, uh, mm-hmm. uh, there's a guy that wrote into uh, Avalon Hill and said, uh, "Okay, guys, I'm a, a physicist and I can't make heads or tails of these rules, so they must be really, really bad." They had gotten a lot of feedback about the Magic Realm rules and ended up rewriting the rules. And the interesting thing about it is the rewritten rules are like. 80 pages longer than the original rules. So so either they really did have some confusing rules or they really, really screwed up the rewrite. <laughs> now, he goes on to say another guy wrote in then after that and said, okay, hey, I'm from... Uh, 
Italy. I think it was Italy. Yeah. So he was like a guy from Italy. Uh, I, I was 13 or 14 years old. I played with my friends. We figured out all the rules. So, you know, if I, if I could figure this out at 13 or 14, what's wrong with this physicist? I mean, is it obviously, you know, how much, you know, or what your job role is or education level doesn't necessarily mean how good you are at figuring out rules. Uh, and I always thought that was kind of an interesting thing for, for Alan or Moon to kind of have, have said. Because, you know, I had, of course, I had a similar experience, and I started thinking about that, too, is, okay, when I was 12 and 13, I played this game uh, under the first edition rules. Do you know, Rob, what a, what a program, have you seen a programmed instruction book in any games? A what? Yeah, see, they don't do that anymore. It was called a programmed instruction book. And what it is, is you would read, like, a page of rules, and then they would say, stop, go play the game with just the rules you know now. And then after you're done, come back and read the next section. Okay. And, and this, yeah. yeah, this would go on like for maybe 14 sections in some games. The average was maybe more like mm, eight or ten. Squad Leader had that. I, I well, I'm pretty sure the original Magic Realm had. I'm not looking at the rulebook now, but yeah, you know, six or eight of those. Um, Starship Troopers. There was a bunch of the old games like that. The only modern one that I've seen do that, well, two. Conflict of Heroes by Academy Games has a has a programmed approach like that, and the other one that comes to mind was Earth Reborn by uh, Z-Man Games. Right, uh, and that's actually when I first looked at the rulebook for Earth Reborn, I was like, oh my god, this thing was you know just pages and pages of all these like fiddly <laughs> details. And then I didn't even notice that at my first reading that there were these breaks. And then I'd actually taken it completely off my list, and then I'd gone back to it at one point and looked at it, and I was like, oh wait okay, I can actually play the game after four pages of rules or whatever it was. Maybe it, I think it was more like six or seven. But still, I don't have to read this 40-page rulebook and try to remember all of this before I even sit down and do anything. And so that's what a programmed book, instruction book is. And the rewrite of Magic Realm, it was just this big, massive book that you had to basically go all the way through. And so it worked really great for people who already knew the game. But if you were just picking it up for the first time, I, even though it clarified questions, I don't know, uh, you know, how you'd get through it. So, you know, then, uh, you know, essentially, you know, sort of my final thought on that is maybe with the original version, when you're young like that, you just, you know, you don't care so much. It's like, okay, maybe there's this little part they didn't cover if I move here, but I didn't do this first. You know, if I'm playing and I'm having fun and it kind of makes sense what it should be, you know, at that age, I don't think you really get into the rules lawyer stuff. Like, well, no, 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 but it says, it doesn't say that you can do that. And, and the other guy, well, it doesn't say you can't. And so anyway, check out that that geek list. Uh, it's linked on our blog. I thought it was a neat read. So okay. what you got, Rob? Cool. Okay, so with my job that I've got, I occasionally have to do some traveling. And whenever I do travel i try to hit the local game shops in the area you know just kind of check stuff out and hopefully my my big hope is to find the hidden little gem that's sitting on the back shelf that nobody in the area <laughs> cares See, I'm just, about i'm just looking to find the little hidden little gem of a good game shop like that nobody knows about yeah. or you know forget the game within it but go on mm-hmm. okay and uh so this week i'm out in uh, atlanta georgia uh, a little bit away from home, but uh, I got out here today and coming from the airport instead of going straight to the hotel, 
I figured I'd make a, a first stop since I had a little bit of time. So I went and I tried to find uh, the game store Tower Games. It was an empty storefront. So I was, I was kind of miffed about that and turned out that they had moved about seven miles away. Oh. So when I pulled the address off of Board Game Geek, it was an older post that somebody had done and it didn't have the, the most recent address because I guess they had just moved recently. So then I hopped back in the car and I drove even further. So it went from uh, Lawrenceville, uh, Georgia, over to Suwanee, I think is the name of it. And, you know, I got in and I've got to say, you know, I've seen quite a few game stores, you know, traveling around the country and especially those at home. And, you know, for those of you that are out in the you know, Chicago area, if you've ever been to Games Plus uh, up on the north side in Mount Prospect, uh, Illinois, that is kind of like my benchmark in terms of, I mean, it's a store that I'm most familiar with. And they've got a pretty darn big selection over there. So whenever I go anywhere, I'm, I don't, I don't say I'm spoiled by Games Plus, but I, I kind of expect to see a good selection. So uh, I went over the Tower Game Center, and it was really nice, brand-new strip mall, it seems. Uh, a lot of space. There was a lot of people in there. It was a very large store in comparison to most game stores. Now, did you and, get anything played, or just poking around? No, I just... Uh, I mean, there was a lot of miniature stuff going on. They had a lot of lot of miniature stuff with, I don't know what you would call them, like little uh, settings or what do you call that when you have miniatures and you have like all the landscapes set up? Do you call them just landscapes? Yeah, landscapes. Um, okay. Armies. Yeah, I mean, and and know, these things depending on the style, there's sleds that sometimes you set them all in and you shuffle, you know, shove them around the boards on those. Yeah. And so, I mean, there's quite a few tables, probably at least five, six tables that had uh, landscapes on them. And there's a bunch of people playing. And there's about two tables where people were playing some board games. I really didn't pay too close attention. I was just checking out the inventory. As far as board games go, they had uh, a decent big wall of uh, board games with, you know, fairly common uh, newer releases. Nothing really old. I was also looking to see if they had, uh, you know, war games and all, and not much. It was it was mostly more mainstream hobbyist games. Up in the front, they did have a sort of like a clearance rack, and uh, I did actually buy two things: one from the clearance rack and one from the regular shelf. I got uh, Power Grid Robots. That was purely uh, an impulse buy there. And then out of the clearance rack, they had uh, Wacky Wacky West for 15 bucks. So I'm like, hey, can't go wrong with that. So I've heard it's a it's a decent game from uh, Klaus uh, Tuber. Toy, not yep. Tuber. <laughs> oh, I'm terrible at names. So I'm... Tuber. I wouldn't Tuber's a potato. Dream to try to correct you on that. <laughs> yeah. So I, I know Wacky Wacky West is a reprint of another game, and I can't for life me remember what that name is right now it's uh it was supposed to be a pretty good game so i'm, I'm looking forward to trying it out yeah the the game stores is, is, was pretty good uh, i consider the wacky wacky west a little bit of a score in terms of you know just you know a potentially decent game at a at a cheap price i mean can't go wrong with that 
I'm going to be out here for a couple more days now. So there's w- another store I'm going to check out. It's a little closer to the hotel. So I might hit that in the next couple of days and I'll report on that one next time around. But uh, Tower Game Center out in uh, Suwanee, Georgia, uh, pretty nice. And uh, the owner who's going around uh, is very friendly, very helpful. Uh, very nice place. Cool. Yeah. Okay. So moving on, a couple interesting news things I came across uh, recently that I thought uh, were worthy of commenting on. The the first is uh, apparently Games Workshop is recalling all copies of Dreadfleet. Wow. Or uh, we'll say the all whole thing, all, not just one all piece? unsold copies of Dreadfleet. Okay. Specifically from the GW stores, and the way I understand that, it's it's everywhere. So, hmm. uh, UK, US, um, right. you know. So not not like at your online stores. If you still want to get it, you could get it there. But uh, the retail GW stores, and they're and they're recalling them to destroy them. Really? Yeah, uh, I'm guessing the tax write-off outweighs further discounting them, and maybe they're already marked down, and they, no point in marking them down further. Hmm. But apparently the game was a pretty big failure. Wow. Uh, I, I know I I liked the idea of it. I thought the miniatures were really cool. I have plenty of other $100 games. Uh, I'm a, a huge Space Hulk fan. I've got the third edition. I don't mind that mine's not painted, although I, I do hope to get it either painted by someone someday or, or maybe even paint it myself. But I guess Dreadfleet, not being familiar enough with whatever it came from or was based upon, not having played it in the past like I did Space Hulk way back when, I had no real reason to you know, risk the, the money investment. And I, and I suspect that was true of a lot of people. And you know, it, the thing that's good that probably will come out of this I, is, I'm hoping, <laughs> here's my uh, a, a secret agenda here. I really hope that GW sort of just hangs it up on the board games and uh, hands it over to FFG. Yeah. You know, which which certainly they've done with some other stuff, but why uh, specifically? I'm talking about Space Hulk here. So Space Hulk, which was a huge success, uh, but a fairly limited run. I'd like to see expansions. I'd like to see five expansions for Space Hulk. Um, some of the original stuff that you know is hard to find now. Uh, Deathwing and uh, Gene Steeler had some some cool stuff, hybrids and whatnot. Uh, yeah, Psychers. I don't know. I, I you know I, I get this feeling like Games Workshop's not going to do it. You know, especially now with Dreadfleet not being a success, I feel like you know they're not probably going to be quite as gung ho about putting out more board game stuff. You know, they'll stick to the miniatures. Why not let Fancy Flight do it? And you know, I wonder, I wonder if that same game or, or a similar version of it had been done by FFG, if it wouldn't have been better received. Uh, you know, just the awareness to the right audience perhaps would have been there. Where right. uh, you know how many board gamers are really keeping track of what Games Workshop is or isn't doing, you know, directly. Um, you know, there might have been an ad on Board Game Geek, but I doubt it. It's like, given they <laughs> like filed a lawsuit back when, so you know, you weren't even really going to hear about this game other than word of mouth. And right. you know, so I'm, I'm really not surprised. I'm not surprised it didn't do that well. The the few people I do know that have commented on it say it's not a bad game. Right. Um, I, I know, I believe I know at least one person with it. I would try it absolutely. So, um, but yeah, just kind of interesting. Uh, you know, there are actually they you know would go ahead and destroy games. And I know around the holidays, there were some stores that were really discounting the heck out of it. 
I wonder if you know there's been something that's been known about the game for a while and people were trying to flush the inventory. Yeah, you know, if anyone has any more details, send us a, an email or, or leave us a voicemail. I think that's about all anyone knows, though. They, they, I don't think they're yeah. going to comment publicly on this one from uh, from what I've read. Did you hear what happened with uh, Games Workshop and the Pirate Bay? Yes. Yes, um, I think... Actually, I saw that reported on Dice Tower News, not BGG. Okay. And uh, oh, there's probably a thread by now on it. Um, and they link to another place. I, I looked into it myself, and as far as I could tell, it's a unique Actually, model. Actually, maybe, uh, maybe explain real quick what, what happened. Yeah, so uh, so there's these that, 3D there's, printers there's uh, where you can actually download a file and print out in 3D uh, an actual object. Some of them compose the object out of resin. Other ones do the layers and, and other materials. But basically, somebody scans this in three-dimensional and you print out game components. Well, really anything. It could be a, a wrench or a screwdriver. But um, recently, people have been doing this with uh, mi- little miniatures. Now, originally when this was posted, and it's like a, a Space Marine Dreadnought, people thought that it, well, I, I think they even got like a cease and desist letter or something to that effect from Games Workshop, the, the website that posted it, since it was posted anonymously. But now I think there's a claim that the author basically modeled this from scratch, so even though it's similar to, it's not, you know, quote-unquote pirating. Now, since then, there's been a post that's called Lehman Russ Tank. So, I don't know. I mean, if nothing else, they're starting to use the terminology. So, but what do you think, Rob? Is it, Can you pirate miniatures? Um, I mean, that's that's a tough one because, you know, it's it's technically a shape. You know what I mean? It's It's a particular shape. I mean, does that mean that you know, if what Spalding has some kind of rights to basketballs or whatever balls that they make, does that mean that I can't have a you know a homemade ball? Well, see, I'm imagining it more like that the sculpture itself falls under some sort of copyright. You know, as a as a as an artistic, you know, as a three dimensional drawing type of thing, and and uh, you know, an exact, exact copy would, would violate that. But if you if you kind of just were free-form modeling one off of it and it ended up very similar, but you didn't actually directly scan it, I don't know. I, the intent is there, right, to basically make a freely, well, you know, probably not so free considering I'm, I'm sure it's not too cheap to print these things out, but... But I see the fear that perhaps a miniature maker might have that, you know, as these... 3D printers get cheaper and cheaper, and now there are ones you can get under a thousand bucks. You know, at some point, especially considering what some of these miniatures cost in the first place, right? They're not—they're not exactly cheap. Uh, you know, you right. just start printing some stuff out that maybe even has a little less detail, but you know, yeah, it could get to where it would impact sales. Uh, you know, long term, not—not in the next six months. You know, but. But who's to say, as these files start getting made, if this is something they don't take action against in, in three years' time or four years' time when, you know, everybody's got a 3D printer? Yeah. Yeah, it's I, – I could see them just reacting 
you know, towards the future. Because, I mean, if some guy's, you know, hand-done one of these things and it looks pretty darn close to their, you know, commercially available product, I mean, you know, that's one thing. But, you know, when all of a sudden, you know, five years from now, everybody can do it and there's hundreds and thousands of these things, that's, I mean, they're just trying to squash this before, before it, you know, really becomes a big issue later on. What a what a neat way to uh, print out game components though for print and play and <laughs> free expansions. You know the the new Essen uh, promo. You just you get it on a USB key and you oh, yeah. you print it out at home. <laughs> I could see like uh, Michael Schock doing a lot of this because he does like a lot of add-ons. You know now uh, I guess it, if I lost a wood cube, I mean, you know, I'd have to be printed out in resin. But yeah, maybe, maybe they yeah. just start including them in that material, so I could just freely make. You know, here's five of each, but if you want more, just print them out at home. Yeah, exactly. If you here's... lose one, you know, you don't have to cry about it. Just, you know, print another one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> don't cry about it. <laughs> well. That is annoying when you get, okay, like. We were talking okay. about that, the little half cube or whatever. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it was in my um, Walnut Grove. I got one cube that was missing a quarter of it. Yeah. So just print out a replacement. What, what are you complaining yeah. about? Fire up the 3D printer. Exactly. Or start get my uh, little wood chisel and and yeah. hammer. And uh, <laughs> yep, yeah, and a little die, and yeah, you'll be fine. Exactly. Oh, and uh, real quick, Wacky Wacky West is Drunter and Druber. Drunter and Druber is the original game. Got it. Well, you'll have to tell me how it is. Okay. I'm, I'm sure. And actually, uh, yeah, that's another good question for any listeners. If you've played it, send your thoughts. And when uh, when we do the show and Rob comments, we'll throw your comments in as well. Okay. Yeah, we'll, we'll give out a voicemail number at the end of the show that you can call in or uh, email. Oh, yeah. So we're moving on. Are we done with? Yeah. Yeah, yeah we're done. Then? Okay. No, but... So, yeah, Star Wars LCG, back to the drawing board. My opinion's you know, pretty well in line with most of the others I've read, which is I think it's a good thing. Lord of the Rings LCG wasn't really my thing. I understand why lots of people like it. Do you have that one, Rob? I actually brought it with me. It's in my suitcase. Have you played it yet? No. This was going to be my this was going to be my uh, sit in a hotel room and learn it once and for all. And, it, and it's you know it's probably great for that. So, you know, I'll save any of the other comments I have for it, but what I will throw out there is it makes total sense why Lord of the Rings would be a, a cooperative LCG, right? You know, the, the whole mythos of it or what, you know, it's it's about the fellowship, the cooperative, you know, group, you know, with this common goal. Yeah. But Star Wars doesn't make really sense. It's like the de facto definitive good versus evil, you against me, me against, you know, why wouldn't that be a competitive game, right? I mean, why? Like, uh, lots and lots of people want to play the Empire, and you know, in any of the game, whether it's a first-person shooter or you know whatever it might be. Yeah, you know, I want to be a stormtrooper. I want to be Darth Vader. I want to be Darth Maul. You know, it, it kind of sucks if I've just always got to be Han Solo, <laughs> and and you're you know, Leia. <laughs> so I'm not surprised. Right. That, uh, you know, if nothing else, 
it was inevitable. People would just keep comparing it to that game. And say, oh, isn't it really the same thing? Oh no, no, it's different because you you turn three cards sideways and st- you know, yeah. Um, so what they really need, and they've got uh, like f- uh, yeah four LCGs now, so they need it to be just totally unique, its own mechanics, no confusion with the other ones, uh, more potential for expansions upon expansion right? i mean that's the whole point right this monthly pack and for those still to be exciting you know if you keep it competitive then you've got some ability to, i think to do some faction stuff that would be more interesting or even different like originally uh i think it was more around the originals uh you know episode four and there was a i believe there was a part where you were you know you even got into spaceships at the end or something like that i unfortunately didn't get to play it yeah, I think they pretty much only allowed people playing it at Gen Con, and maybe maybe there was a couple other early previews at one or two other conventions. But those people that played it thought it was all right. Uh, you know, I I really had heard enough that I took it off my list altogether. So uh, hence why I'm sort of excited about it, because hey, if it's getting remade, maybe it'll actually be something I like again. More interesting than that, though, is the fact that I actually was compelled for one of the first times to go to FFG's site and leave some comments to the news item. And of course I was, uh, I was excited because as I read it, I was like, Oh look, nobody's commented. So I'll, I'll even be the first. And you know, I, I want to, um, there's been a lot of negative posts on FFG's site, uh, lately, anytime there's a news item. So I was like, Oh, you know, I want to be positive about this one. So I'll get right, right out and I'll be the first guy and it'll be okay. positive. And you know, then all these other people will say negative things and, but at least there'll be something nice in there. And then it'll rip at you. And oh, just... sure, sure. But I was like, I'm going to do it this time because I, I really never post there. And then, of course, I find out, oh, you can't post anymore. They've disabled all comments on the site. Aww. And I'm not surprised because I just said, like, every time I go there, you read this news. Of, oh, okay, we're releasing XYZ game today. And then there's all these people from, uh, you know, Zimbabwe or something going, well, why aren't you releasing it in my country? You know, what do I care that you're releasing it in the U.S.? And <laughs> You know, why aren't you partnered with my local distributor or store to get copies to me at the same date? You know, I'm going to have to wait two years. And uh, then, of course, you have every every time there's a Battles of Westeros, you know, expansion, you have the Battle Lore people going, well, you know, when's there going to be a Battle Lore one? And then when there's a LCG annou- or a book announcement or something, then, the, you know, board game play. I, I'm, I don't want to hear about books. You know, what am I going to say? You get the point, right? So uh, I think they finally just realized, you know, that there's for every positive post, there's probably 10 negative ones. You know, that's not really what we want in our news announcements. You know, good job on those guys for uh, for them banning, I guess, all all ability to comment. Now it's just this link that says, oh, go discuss it in our forums. Right. Uh, so that was kind of disappointing, but I completely understand why they did it. You know, I wonder if this kind of stems from some of the, let's say, quality problems they've been having with some of their games, like Mansions of Madness. Yeah, I'm sure that news post, yeah, people just probably went on and on and on. I, I You know, I'll read, whenever I happen to catch the news, I'll read, so I'll scan through the comments. Uh, I don't really go back and follow up and see what people have left after the fact. Um, you know, there's not a real lot of activity on their forums anyway, I, and, right. and maybe that actually contributed some to it. Okay, you know, we actually probably get more posting on our news items than we do in our forums so why don't we at least you know direct that negativity there so the discussion at least continues and and maybe 
uh, you know, the, the fanboys jump in and defend everything as, as opposed to it sort of dying off but still being forever archived with this news item when, when people go back and read it later. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, and, and, and perhaps they even, I'm sure they posted somewhere their reasons for it, but um, I just kind of stumbled across it and said, oh, that's interesting. I, I wonder if that isn't going to happen elsewhere. Uh, Board Game Geek, for instance, you know, that that's, you know, you, you get... Uh, Android users, right? You wouldn't know anything about that. Nope. Uh, every time there's an iOS announcement going, where's my Android version? And, you know, why am I reading about iOS? I stopped asking that question. <laughs> I'm guilty. I used to have an Android, and I used to ask that question, too. Yeah, but yeah. what about Android? Um, and, and, you know, I've even posted on FFG, I think, when they first announced their books, and they were going to be physical only, and I, well, what about the electronic version? Because I... I I don't buy physical ones anymore. Just uh, and it's with books. It's really not because I have anything against physical books, but I do. <laughs> uh, well, there, there's one huge, huge thing against them. They take up shelving that you could use for games. Exactly. See, you said exactly my answer. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> I, I have enough shelving space that it, that I use for games. I so I really don't have any left for books. You know, and I have other things on my shelves that are my extra shelves. So the other reason is simply because, you know, I don't travel quite as much as you do, but but I am about and around, and, you know, I don't really want to carry a bunch of books with me, so this way I just always have them. And it doesn't right. matter what device, you know, I go to. It's just, okay, I've got my phone, my tablet, my computer. Great, I can continue reading where I was. I can right. get bored with that book for the moment, switch to something else, right? Mm-hmm. You know? Oh yeah, and it's sort of that that you know at least like with Kindle, like because I can read the first chapter, that it really really works for me because I don't I don't again I don't have a lot of time to read I, I spend it board gaming or doing whatever else, so if if I'm not really caught up in a in a book and I'll just you know move on and go well maybe I'll come back to it and of course I usually don't if if it didn't snag <laughs> me that quickly so exactly yeah so ready for our next topic <laughs> let's do it. All right, the next topic's near and dear to me because, as I've said now in the last episode, and I'll continue to say, I'm the guy that likes to get rid of games almost as much as I like to get new ones. So one of the things I got in the mail, uh, you know, so the post office must know this too because they sent me a letter addressed to me. You You specifically? Yeah, it was addressed to me. Resident? No, my name. So, uh, you know... Not that they, you know, probably like pulled this out of my online account and <laughs> that I buy stuff from them with, or, you know, I'm sure it was hand typed me and not a form letter, right? I, uh, but they, but they took the time to notice that I, I use their services quite a bit, and they sent me a sample of this new type of box that they have. So you got an actual box? Yeah, yeah. They sent yeah. me a letter and some sample boxes. So I, I must be somebody within the the post office world. You know, they didn't do this to a million customers. Yeah, they they did, but <laughs> so I was one of them anyway. But uh, yeah, so like a million plus people got these samples. In any case, what it is, what I wanted to talk about specifically is this thing called regional rate, and specifically what's new is regional rate C. So do you you know Priority Mail stuff? Do you ever ship Priority Mail? I know they have different boxes. Right. If it fits, it ships. If it fits, it ships. Yeah. So Priority Mail is a nice thing they kind of came up with uh, it's got to be at least six or seven years ago now yeah. where you know it's a lot easier to ship than 
say UPS or FedEx because they provide you free boxes and you know who has room to keep a million boxes and even if you do they're never the right size and or they're flimsy in like half the board games I order when I get the box they're all bashed up right um, so now I'm really gonna put something back in them but anyway so these free boxes they used to actually give you free tape too which was even better uh, now you just get some stickers and and the boxes kind of most of them have like a peel-off thing but that was originally, so that was the original priority mail. Then they came out with this thing called flat rate, which for the board game world was even better because now you could take a really heavy game and as long as you could, or a bunch of little ones, and as long as you could stuff them into the box, you wouldn't pay more than you know, ten fifty or so. I think it is online anyway. And uh, so then, about a year ago or so right around then they came out with a third option which was called regional rate but this one wasn't really advertised like the other ones were so what regional rate is is for anybody that pays online for postage you get a, a, a pretty good discount so or even any anything you pay online for priority mail is discounted like you usually get free delivery confirmation maybe as much as a dollar off what you'd pay at the post office I don't think a lot of people know that but in addition to that, regional rate offers you, if it's within a state or so, a huge discounted uh, rate, even further from the already discounted priority mail rate. So, for instance, I sent El Grande, which is a game I sold uh, for $5 priority mail regional rate to like somebody in Indiana. And that would have been $10.50 through flat rate and probably $12 sent. Uh, regular priority mail. Pretty cool, I think. Oh, yeah. Uh, so what regional rate C is, is regional rate C is this really, really big box. And let's see if I have, I have probably have details on this somewhere. Um, yeah, so here's what it is. It's, it's 15 by 12 by 12, and you can put in up to 25 pounds. So I did some testing with it. I figured, yeah, they sent it to me. Why not, right? Right. And here's my, here's what I found. Okay, I, I can basically fit comfortably three Ticket to Ride sized games. Really? Uh, yeah. Three? Three Ticket to Ride sized games, not touching at the corners. Um, they they come pretty close on the sides. But what I found with any priority mailbox is basically touching on the cor uh, on the sides is fine. What you really just wanted away from is the corners. The box is really sturdy. Um, so if it's dropped on a side, you're really fine. It's just when it's dropped on the ends or the corners that you're going to get damage. Right. Um, so three ticket to rise size boxes plus, plus one like Alea small box still fits. Okay. So you're getting like four good sized games in there Wow. or five power grid sized games. And those touch on the long edges, but still not the corners. That's a big box. That is a big box. I, I believe now I haven't actually I only have the one sample. Um, there, you can order them now as of the end of January, uh, and, I, and I haven't done it yet. But I, but I believe you can actually fit it in the Dropbox. It's basically the maximum size. It's the size of the Dropbox at the post office, um, and so that's what you can do with regional rate. You can't spend. You can't get it at the post office. You can't pay for it at the post office. You can't even pay for it at the kiosk. Um, but if you buy it online, regular U, U, UPS postal site, print it out. I, I tape mine on. I don't even buy the labels. Just tape it on there, and then I just I go at midnight, you know, and and drop it in the box, and uh, everything's good. Why midnight? 
Well, because there's there's nobody there, so I can park <laughs> real close. It's actually more fun to go at, at when it's really busy because then you get all the dirty looks from there. You know, there would be like 15 people in line. You kind of walk at my post office anyway. You kind of walk past them all up to this little box, and you just put yours in and turn around and leave. And you know, they're kind of wondering, oh, aren't you special or something? But VIP. Anybody can do it. That's why I'm reporting it here. And, and you know, even if you don't want to do that and don't want to print online because, you okay, to be fair, you need a scale. Um, so that's going to cost you 10 bucks, 15 bucks. If you get a five-pound scale, it's probably about 10 bucks. If you get uh, the 10-pound one, which you're really going to need if you're putting five games or so in a box, uh, you know, then it's a little more. But for that single investment, you're going to save, you know, or at least the people you're trading with and sending to are going to save. So, But if you can't do that, then there are these kiosks at the post office. So again, rather than wait in line, I'll still go there and do that. If it's uh, if right. I want to send something with a, a regular box or parcel post, just go on there, you know, swipe a credit card or feed it in cash. It, it weighs it, asks you your options, prints a label, you stick it in the box, and you're good to go. So yeah, I mean, I've sold probably 800 games uh, wow. over the last 10 Ten years. I mean, I just yeah. I think even on Board Game Geek, I probably have four hundred plus, no, five hundred maybe previously owned games and and things. And then I've gone through several cycles of of other collections I've had and sold those too. So yeah, easily eight hundred games. So I keep every box I get anything in. Uh, I've got a, a way I store it. I keep all my peanuts. I keep I keep everything just to make it super simple to to ship out stuff. So that's that. What else you got? Mirthworks came out with uh, a beta for this game. You might have heard of it called Alien Frontiers. Never heard of it. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> you know. So I, I own it, of course. I'm, I'm in yeah. the beta. Yeah. So okay. So you're part of it, and because um, have you actually played? Yeah. Have you? I got the beta and I signed up for it. You know, to get the actual account after the beta invitation and. Their matchmaking system wasn't working, and it says like invite somebody. I'm like, who the hell am I going to invite? I didn't, you know, I didn't know well, now anybody you know else. You can invite it. me. Yeah. <laughs> so, needless to say, I haven't gone back to try it. But uh, what do you think of it so far? Well, that was my biggest complaint. Well, originally, actually, I'll have to say, I'll have to put that caveat on it. And 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 I had actually, you know, I had this thought because they were calling it the the beta. And I, and I think I posted this on Board Game Geek too, but uh, it's the very definition of beta is the features are complete, right? Uh, the feature list anyway is complete, right? right. And there's bugs, there's maybe features that are going to need to be reworked or you know something of, of that nature, but basically what it's going to do and how it's going to do it is sort of locked in. Uh, mm -hmm. Otherwise, by definition, it's really the alpha phase where you're still thinking of new things you could do and maybe we could add a chat function, maybe we could add a lobby where people could meet, maybe we could do, you know, <laughs> and that's really where they're at. So I I, I almost kind of wonder, you know, have they developed a game before? I don't know. But the, the, neat, the neat thing is the game itself seems to be pretty sound, you know, the rules are pretty intact. You know, the bugs that are in there are usually the extreme situations, you know, the stuff that's not going to come up a lot. You know, it, they're going to get found. Um, the, the one that really bugged me was, and you may not have heard about this, but for a while, for the first couple of days anyway, you could re-roll the dice as many times as you wanted until you got what you needed. So what do you mean? Just keep going over and over and over? Yeah. 
So, so I roll, mm. you know, one, two, five, and, you know, I wanted the double so I can get another ship, or I wanted that six so I can, you know, plunk down a colony. Great. Just keep re-rolling until you get it. Nice. <laughs> and, uh, so I, 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 you know, it's, I, uh, get myself in trouble every now and again, although I guess people were kind of nice this time. I, I, I posted, I'm like, well, should we name names on who's been cheating? Uh, you know, because of course the guy, one of the guys I was playing against, you know, the first four turns, he basically got another ship and then of course he got the, the ship that you get from playing in the middle and, you know, uh, he'd settled three or four things and I hadn't. And really this was all the games I was playing. We're all going this way. Uh, oh boy. And yes, I re, I mean, here for the record, I re-rolled myself, right? I mean, when you, when you read about it, you go, no, that can't possibly be true. So, you know, you hit refresh. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and like, okay, does it, you know, so yeah, I tried it, but okay, once you've established the bugs there, then let's, you know, we've reported it. Why not? Why, why would we want to continue to exploit it? Right? What does that really accomplish? And, uh, right. and, and, you know, to be fair, the response really was, well, we're really not here to play the game. We're here to help them find the bugs. So my response to that was agreed even, understood. But then why don't you just let us pick the roles? Because, you know, and and maybe this is unique to me, but again, back when I spent time working on game designs, that's what I would do. If like a six gives a different result and you're in, you know, the early testing phases, why would you, you know, play five games and not roll six all that many times. I mean, if you really need a six to see if this mechanic works or doesn't work, you just say, okay, well, I, I, I rolled a six and a five, and let's see if this plays out right. Okay, uh, that kind of works, or no, it doesn't. Or you suspected that a, a bug happened in a certain situation. Why not be able to recreate that situation by uh, by choosing the dice rolls, right? Okay, I think right. when I had two yellow cubes and I converted it, to or and and then I canceled that and instead did double sh- you know that something happened okay how much am I going to have to play to get to where I can simulate that as opposed to just pick your dice rolls so that was right. sort of my argument back okay if that's the way we're going to do it then let's just put an option in there to do that um, but of course they corrected the bug which kind of I've said enough <laughs> in any <laughs> case yeah I the unpolished nature of, of how you meet up with players and, and find opponents. Uh, I'm surprised they would launch it before that, but uh, everything else about the game, I think they've, they've probably got a winner. Once, once I can easily find players, I didn't really find any problems with anything else. I mean, it was easy enough. I haven't even played the game in a couple of months, but you know, picking it back up, the rules seemed straightforward, the interface, the way that you choose dice and place dice. So I'm I'm kind of encouraged by that. They're a new developer. Everybody's kind of wondering how they're going to charge for it. Is it going to be free? Is it not going to be free? They've come back and said they don't really like ad-supported structures uh, or pay-to-play, or they at least alluded maybe to the later one. But then what's it going to be? I mean, what's left? An upfront fee you know, for something that's basically on the web, or it's just going to stay free, but we have to buy the iOS one? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, that's... Hmm. See, I don't know if I would want to pay for that, you know, for one game. When you've got sites like Yukata, you know what I mean? You've got Yukata, which has, what, 70 games almost right now? I still say it's Yukata. <laughs> Yukata. <laughs> you know, they've got 70 games, and they're all free. 
Yeah, Granted, and, they're and, not you know, real time. And, and, and if that was the way they were going to um, model it and, and basically free, why wouldn't you tie into that site? That was that was exactly my first thought. You know, so here I got to go, and they clearly made it like they're maybe going to do some future games. So you know, maybe they want to be the, the sort of competitor to that. But but yeah, Yucatan has such uh, a head start on that, uh, and sure. it, and it's not even just seventy games. There's really good, well-known games on there. Oh yeah, uh, and yeah, sure, Alien Frontiers is one. I mean, it's a good one to start with if you're going to pick one. Um, right. for Mirthworks, but I, I, I'm not sure I would see a downside for them to come out now and tell people what it's going to be. I mean, what's really going to... That would almost convince me more as to the quality of the company that they that they knew the answer. Now, I figured like, they kind of don't know. You have to kind of see, well, how well does it work? How polished is it at the end of the day? You know, how much money did we put into it? And, and then we'll determine kind of what we're going to do with it. Right. Uh, have but, you ever been on Board Game Arena? Yeah. Well, uh, Board Game yeah, board game Arena, and then there was one that uh, Hasbro actually had one, Game Table Online, where okay. you could play yeah. Tigers and Euphrates and Axis and Allies and a couple things. Uh, but that was pay-to-play. There were certain ones that were free, and then you would get right. tokens, and you could play the other ones. Although I think you could play any of them solitaire or against the AI. Um, but that's not really a, a site I've gone back to. There, there's really a whole bunch of sites out there that have multiple ones. Uh, but right. but I, I just, I almost don't go to any of them besides uh, Yucata now just because the selection's so good. And the thing I really like about that site too is uh, you have to take your turn, right? So Oh yeah, if, it won't let you skip a yeah, game. Yeah, you know, if I'm playing you, let's say, uh, you know, you know, Thurn and Taxis, and, and you just pissed me off, right? I mean, I... <laughs> Damn, I, you know, I screwed up, and I'm going to blame you, right? Lots yeah. of, a lot of time that happens. I'm like, you know what? And, and and you do with a lot of the online games. You know, you'll know you're like one turn away from moving, and and somebody will just go offline, and you're like, well, really? Did they really just, you know, they had to run to work or go to bed, or they're just like, oh, I, yeah, I'm not going to give them the satisfaction of the game ending and and him being declared the winner in that last move. So I'll just quit now, and and sure, you know, eventually I'll I'll end it, but um, yeah. And, you know, actually, I, I, that still happens to me on, on Yucata. But you're quitting everything then because you can't – the way that it works is you can't go and take your turn. Um, well, you, you know, you can take your turn in the next game, I guess. But whatever your oldest game is that still has a turn outstanding, you have to take your turn in that game before it lets you go to your other games. Yes. Um, so if you have 50 games, 49 of them will quickly be locked until you take your turn in the 50th one. And, and that – I think just really keeps the sort of the griefing down. Um, and there's really no way to quit. Similarly, there's no way to quit a game that isn't a two player game. So, you know, if, if a group of people have invested time in, in a multiplayer game, you really can't leave it and, and sort of ruin it for the rest of people just because you were doing right. poorly. Uh, I, I, you have I to think, quit the whole site to do it. I think there is a, uh, a time limit on games of, isn't it yeah. like 45 days or something? Yeah, then, then you can choose to delete it, and I've had to do that. But that's basically because a user disappears. And, you know, I don't know if they have AI stand-ins yet for some of those or not. But no. But that doesn't, again, that doesn't bother me because, yeah, okay, fine. You left the site altogether? Great. You know, it's, it's just when you just quit my game and went on to play a bunch of other ones because you weren't doing well. The, the way the way that it's just set up, it, you could, it just makes a lot of sense. It's really fair, and I just wish people would make more use of the chat function or the email function. You know, 
pr primarily like if you were going to quit, I, you know, maybe there should be an automated message that just says, okay, you know, I'm not quitting just because, but hey, right. good game. You're clearly winning. It's only two players, you know, best of luck. I'm uh, a sore and, loser. Yeah, and the, and the other thing is there's a rating mechanism, which most people, after they've been there a little while, partake in. And you get promotions after you, and you have to, they kind of encourage you to try new games because you have to win uh, a certain variety of games a certain right. number of times against a certain number of different people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I guess you don't really get much for it besides a new title. Maybe they could work in some, some other benefits. But then, you know, again, you don't really want to quit in a ranked game because then it kind of counts against you unless you really knew, right. hey, I've, there's no way. And usually you lose a substantial amount of points, too. Yeah, well, it's based upon the ranking. If you quit. Uh, yeah, that could be. I, I guess I don't I don't know if it's what the rules are on that. I, I, I don't tend to quit, but but yeah, I know like if you're playing a, a higher-skilled player and you win, of course, you're going to get a lot more points than if you're playing right. a lower-skilled player. I've literally played like people ranked at zero, and it, you know I win, and it's like, you gained one point, and they lost <laughs> none. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then I've also gone where I, my like my first game I've just I've been in like the top hundred players just because I beat some guy that was ranked in the the top twenty. Mm -hmm. And 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 they've only started. They have this true skill thing all, as well, and and that's probably even better than the overall rank. Where uh, you know, say you're again, Thern and Taxis is your game. Well, they'll start to rank you versus the other players, so you start to um, you know, get higher and higher, right? I guess lower and lower, you could say. The only thing disappointing there is I used to play a whole lot more than I did, so you know I have lots of wins on some of these games, but yet I've only I've only lost my recent ones, and so mm -hmm. I'm rated you know 832 or something like that. But definitely check it out. You could, I'm a big fan. Quite a few interesting games there. I'll actually talk about one of them next time. I've been playing quite a bit of Few Acres of Snow from uh, Mark Wallace. So yeah, with uh... Yukata. <laughs> okay, we're going to get an they, answer to this question. Yeah, the, I, I do have one sort of gripe about it. And this yeah. is just me. And that's where, depending on the day, time, week, whatever, you know, you might have as many as like 30, 40 games sometimes that are going on, you know, with all different people. The biggest problem I have with the site is that. I cannot, for the life of me, remember what my strategy is <laughs> from uh, game to game, don't they have and a, I don't a notes page. I thought, yeah, yeah. Uh, I was just, I was just going to say that, but I mean, I'm not going to write notes for every game. Yeah, <laughs> it's sort of like I care, but I don't care that well, much. I well, so few acres of snow is easy because I start one French game and one British game, and then yeah, I don't even remember my opponent's name, right? But because it comes up, like, oh yeah, I'm playing the French, so I know what I was doing, and okay, this one I'm playing the British. And I, um, well, but what sucks is if if people aren't being responsive, then you kind of go because you've got the itch to play that game. You go ahead and start up another one. Then suddenly the other guy comes back, and now you got two British games, and you kind of did similar things, or maybe you didn't. And you know, I I, I have actually done the wrong thing uh, once or twice in a game just because I, I I thought it was the other game I was playing and I didn't pay attention. Yeah, right. Um, I don't I don't know what if there's a good fix for that besides just playing real time. Um, yeah. It just it just, it really is just that there's just too much time 
that goes in between. It's like you make a move and you have a strategy. You might think, hey, I want to get this piece from point A to point B. So you make your move and then in three days when you go sit down and play again, it's, you know, you basically start all over. Well, that's uh, that's why we do private invites, you know. Yeah, even though – because I remember for a while my wife really, really, really – she, she plays too – uh, she was really into turns and taxis. So we had probably about a dozen games going on at the same time. And, you know, you just sit there, you know, okay, this is game three. Uh, okay, what was I doing? Uh, okay. See, I just play the same strategy every time. <laughs> yeah. And then it doesn't matter. Uh, yeah, I know what you're saying. There's a couple little games there, you know, um, uh, can't stop. You know, it's pretty easy to pick that one up. Uh, six. Oh, That's a dangerous game. Can't stop. I'm I'm on the fence about not playing that anymore. Ever again? Because uh, uh, just you just you get a bad run of luck, and then all of a sudden you get demoted. <laughs> yeah, you know, well, that's what happens. Like I've game never after game been after demoted, game. and until I I started can't stop for the first time, and yeah, exactly. I uh, I thought maybe I wasn't being aggressive enough with the roll, so I started pushing it and then i lost like eight games in a row and i I dropped a whole ranking and and tons of points yeah uh but then i then i just i stopped playing only that game for one and i started just putting limits and I, i said okay well with without the special situation i'm only gonna roll four times so even if i'm doing well and i get everything i want i'm gonna stop at four right uh and then i i found i was doing much 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 better uh, and so even if I was ahead or behind, I would sort of stop there and, you know, somebody else would push their luck more. Now, of course, there's exceptions to that. Like if you roll, if you can manipulate, one of the things I like in that game is if you can ma- manipulate the dice in such a way that only one valid choice exists, you could you could do three rolls and still have no risk, right? Because you're just placing right. one of these three pawns. You basically could place up to three. And so then there's reasons why I would break, you know, the, the limits I put. Or if you roll, right. you know, twos and twelves, and you're not going to push it quite as much. And if your opponent's doing the sevens and you're way behind on the sevens, you can kind of push further because the chance you're going to get a seven is, is high. So you might go six times or even seven. You know, I've seen people race all the way down the center in one turn. Um, what is that all about? That makes me so mad. Well, with seven, <laughs> you know, it's sevens and sixes. You know, I'm sure there's yep. statistics behind the game, but there are different combinations where um, you're more likely to do that. And then it depends on what's been blocked out. Because what happens is once a, uh, a player gets to the end of a certain track, and uh, you know, the twos and the twelves are the shortest, the sevens the longest, because it's statistically you're going to roll it the most. That whole number is blocked off then. So if you roll that, it no longer counts. Right. Uh, but you have to roll at least one valid number, so that's the other thing. People push too much at the end of the game, mm-hmm. and they end up rolling no valid number at all. Yeah, um, I still like it. I went ahead and bought the physical copy. Did you ever play it? I did. I did. Is that and the Griffin version? I did pick up the Griff, Griffin game ones, uh, You know, the little division of Eagle games. Uh, I've played the previous version. I think this one's good. You know, component quality was good. Uh, it was a little harder to move and track all the pieces yourself, right? You know, and, and add up all the die roll combinations manually as opposed to on the website. It highlights everything for you. Yeah, that's part of the fun, though. Yeah, well, you can play a lot quicker online because of that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, especially because 
I really like to play it on uh, Board Game Arena. Oh, I didn't even know they it's, had it there. Oh, yeah. They've got uh, – it's real-time. And it's actually a very nice implementation. Uh, it's – Fanjos? Fanhos? It's a implementation of a European version where it's a mountain, not the stop sign. Yeah, well, that's what they have on Yucatan too, the mountain yeah. one. Oh, yeah, they do. That's right. Yeah. Well, well in, so instead of a, a square the f- or a diamond, it's a triangle. It's, it's just fun to roll dice sometimes, yeah. you know. I, mm-hmm. That's why I, I still like games like uh, Lords of Vegas and, well, you know, heck, even Couriers or something like that. But, yeah. I, you know, Can't Stop, it's just this weird game because I never would have thought I would have liked it. I mean, you could have described that game to me and I would have just laughed at you, you know, like, okay, <laughs> forget it. I like, why would I even... But it's, it, does, it is it it's actually at, at first, yeah, because you're like, it really is true to its name, and uh, and it's so simple. Uh, you know, you could, yeah. I, re- I really probably could play this with just about anyone, and I think they would have fun, and, and I would have some fun. It, you know, I'd have more fun than playing LCR, for instance, which oh, yeah. basically has the same number. I mean, you know, okay, fine, LCR has no rules. <laughs> you know, roll and pass. It, it's funny because uh, I taught my son, three and a half years old, how to play Can't Stop. I mean, mainly all he does is roll the dice and then he moves the pieces that I show him to move. But he sits there and, you know, he has the dice in his hands and he goes, I can't stop. <laughs> <laughs> and then he rolls the dice. He gets into the theme. Well, yeah, I, I taught him. <laughs> yep. That's, that's cool. Now, with the game, do you have a hard time at all with lining everything up because they don't have the numbers at the bottom of the board. Did you ever find that? Well, on, you know, the, on the physical copy, it's it, it, it wasn't really a problem for me, but yeah. I, I just wish they had the numbers, because the numbers 2 through 12, they're all up at the top of the board. I just wish that they yeah, had Yeah, and they're kind the of bottom. staggered, you know, because the different tracks are different lengths. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely always felt like it could be set up better somehow. But again, you know, the, the mountain climbing one is, I guess, a, a neat trick. It's probably better than the physical version, which is just a stop sign without any drawings to it or any detail. Yeah. I, I think it would be neat if they had put out a version that was, like, themed as something else. I, I don't know exactly what that would be, but, you know, race cars or something. I don't know, you know. <laughs> That sort of thing. I've got a bunch of Haba games that are kind of like that, you know, just where mm-hmm. you're rolling dice and you know pushing certain colored cars and things. Right. Um, this is this is sort of like the adult version, even though it's still pretty much. Oh yeah. Like you said, your three and a half year old son could play. So. Absolutely. But there is there is some strategy to it because I like now that I've played more, I I do find that I win, well, a little bit more than I lose anyway, <laughs> and that could just be a run of good luck. Who knows. And when I actually sit there and I analyze and try to plot, you know, where I, I sit there and I look at the combinations, well, this one's better than that. I actually do worse. I actually do worse than when I just sit there. If and you I overthink go, it, yeah. Yeah. You know, where, because sometimes I'll just sit there and I, I, I really don't pay attention too much to what the numbers are. I just look, okay, six, okay, six. Seven, six, you know, I just keep clicking. You can't stop. Trying to move pieces up, yeah. <laughs> but I, I tend to get further 
on those than when I sit there and I analyze and I try to pick the. Uh, I did the I did ones. real well on my first few games that way, but but then I had that yeah. string where yeah, so I've yeah. It, anyway, I, th- I it's a one I'd recommend everybody tries. You know, it's so quick to play. Just hop on one of those sites. You so easy quick play. and quick. Yeah, uh, I mean, you know, there's there's it'd be a great iOS or Android app too. Although, you know, it doesn't really strike me as a kind of thing. Eh, maybe you could play against an AI. I'm sure it'd be easy to program an AI for it. There but... was a version for the Android called Roll or Don't. There's also okay. a PC version. I just think uh, it's the kind of thing that it's more fun yeah. because, you know, somebody's pressing their luck or not. Right. So, yeah, okay, the computer busts, you know, because they rolled yeah. one time too many. But, mm, you know, it's fun. I try to, like, think, like, what what kind of opponent do I have, you know? Um are they the real gambler? Are they? Are mm. they? You know, they always roll twice, and you know that's it. Um, yeah. But yet somehow they're doing good because they go for the twos and the twelves. Or, or um, you know, I, I have seen people do what I consider different sort of strategy approaches to the game. So it's it's neat, and yeah. uh, it is a a Sid Saxon game, right? Yes, it is. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah. So that's even cooler for me because of course I'm I've got a choir from. Back when, right. and he was sort of the original game collector and old school '60s game designer. Um, and and I haven't played as many of his games as I probably would have liked to have. And and the ones I did have, other than Acquire, are long since pitched out on my collection. So it's kind of nice to have a another one. You know, I'm only at two, but <laughs> still, and you can't stop. Yeah, I can't stop. No, I am a fa- I'm a fan. <laughs> he, uh, if, you know, I'm not a big abstract guy. Oh yeah, um, but he—he's definitely one of them that knew what he was doing, you know. And and the f- the fact that uh, well, I was even talking about this the other night, but Acquire is starting to lose its luster for me a little bit, just because there are things that, uh, namely Lords of Vegas, even Airlines Europe, that scratch the itch enough um, and are a little less abstract that I really haven't gone back and played Acquire. So right. Uh, in a long time now, but I still got my 3D version, the cool, the cool version, right? Bought it new back when for when it was still only 25 bucks for that version. Uh, now the little, they got the little cardboard shit ones, and it seems so d- disappointing in comparison. I've got these nice 3D buildings that sit on mine. I think it adds a little bit. Real high quality cards and everything. Nice trays that they uh, they sit in. So. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, did, I always did well, you know, uh, when I was, before I even got back into Heroes again, uh, again, I had played this game with some, some people and, uh, you know, when all they'd heard of them as, you know, Monopoly and we talked about that, I actually had success with this game because, you know, who I played it with was, uh, Chris, you know, Chris K who works with, uh, works at your place now. Okay. Yeah. yeah, and his wife, uh, and a couple other people. But you know, I, I like I started describing this. It's like, okay, well, it's like the stock trading game where you uh, you know you you place tiles and you kind of buy and sell stock. And and, I'm, and I started thinking, wow, that really doesn't sound very interesting, does it? To somebody who's like never played <laughs> you know games, you know, you're like buying and selling stocks and bonds. And I'm like, like I'm like, Yay. you know what? Just forget all of that. Just try it. And uh, and of course they did. And you know, not being much of a gamers at all. And they were like, ah, oh, this is great. You know, cause they saw the strategy and the tile placement right away. And it's, it's pretty simple how you buy and sell stuff and it's not real mathy or anything like that. 
It sounds uh, worse than it is. Yeah, and it really it just it always sounds worse than it is, and it is the experience every time when I would. Even now, when I bring up the game, and they're like, "Well, and it's just this abstract tile placement. Eh, why don't we play something else?" You know. And so, Lords of Vegas, of course, you know, it's just because it's themed better, and Airlines Europe, and they they each kind of have half of the Acquire game. So collectively, yeah, for nostalgic reasons, I, I probably can't part with it, but I probably should. So. <laughs> okay, I think uh, maybe it's time to close this one out. Yep. So that was. Episode 2 and Iron Sky. Rob, if you want to let uh, listeners know how they can send us feedback, questions, uh, comments on a game you've played recently, or you want to agree or disagree with anything we've said on the show. Absolutely. Okay, we've got a couple ways you can contact us. Uh, go over to our website, www.thisboardgamelife.com. And over there, you'll find a couple ways to get a hold of us. You can also email us at contact at thisboardgamelife.com. And we've now got a voicemail that you can call in. Leave us a voicemail, and we'll put it up on the show. Uh, that's 754-444-TBGL for This Board Game Life, which is 754 444 8245 and you can also do a recording to send an mp3 over to us uh, as well if you don't want to call that number so thanks for listening we'll catch y'all next time my name is rob and this is jeff catch y'all later